Over the past seven years, Getting Smart has been documenting the rise of artificial intelligence and its impacts on teaching, leading, and learning. We've put together a new resource combining many of our past publications, blogs, podcasts, and events, so we can better keep our finger on the pulse of the rapid advancement of this technology. Check out this new resource for a great understanding of where AI has been, how it's already impacting the classroom, and what's coming soon. We'll be updating it every couple of weeks as well, so be sure to check out the editor's note on the first page to see what new products, policies, or advancements have occurred. You can check it out at gettingsmart.com slash artificial dash intelligence, or you can find it at the link in the show notes. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I am Nate McLennan. And it feels like AI is suddenly what everybody is talking about. And although AI has been in use for a number of years, the recent acceleration of ease of use as educators now thinking about impacts. Some of us are curious and some are scared and some are just wondering, how do we even understand it all and grasp it all? And while the immediate reactions of schools and districts are to shut it down, and likely we're probably in the hype part of an innovation curve, there's no doubt in my mind that it is here. And the next five years, we'll see massive acceleration and impact around this space. The positives, like we'll hear about today, are significant. Increased personalization for every learner, efficiencies to free up teacher time to do uniquely human things like locally relevant learning and strong relationships and mentorship, and make teaching a more sustainable and desirable craft. The downside, what all of us are thinking about, is that AI tools will also drive an industry that seeks to deceive and manipulate, making the new superpower the discernment of truth. And maybe this will bring us back to face-to-face conversation as the only way to determine if something is real. And that might be a really good thing for the planet. So today, we're diving into a solution that uses AI to increase efficiency for educators, personalize, and eventually allow every learner to use AI to design a unique path for understanding. So I'm excited to have Bodo Hernan on the podcast today. He's the co-founder and CEO of Knowledge.io. He's a collective intelligence scientist and uh, Bodo and I have talked a few times, and I'm super excited to have you here. So welcome, Bodo. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really okay, excited. So, so I am excited too. And my first question, because I love the job description, is what on earth is a collective intelligence scientist? How do you describe that to people? Yeah, it's, 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 it's all about how do we tap into the intelligence of those around us to in, in, enhance our own learning? Um, and it started off about 10 years ago with with a focus on working in environments where there are no traditional uh, educators, traditional teachers. So I was working refugee camps, kids in in the slums of East Africa. Uh, These are kids who live in environments where there are no formal uh, educators, even parents that would encourage them to learn. So so how do we we empower them to actually learn? And and the, the approach I took was, well, can we tap into collective intelligence of the children around them, but also the community so that they can rapidly learn from those around, around them. And that's really where it started and I, and, and, and what it's all about. And, and so um, it's, it, it seems like we've always had collective intelligence, right? Communities have been learning from one another for years. Has our education system pivoted away from that? Um, why is this novel? And then, and then, why is AI a game changer for this before we dive into specifically what knowledge is doing? Um, I think what is novel around using collective intelligence is that 
it suddenly opens the window to almost anyone in your network being able to officially have the title of mentor or teacher or potentially someone who can teach you something and vice versa. Suddenly you're in the position where you could be the mentor and teacher of someone in your network too. Um, it's the it's the ability for us to think a little bit differently about how education looks and works. Um, I think it's more more along the lines of how it works before you go to school and then how learning works after you finish school. It seems like like the only time where it's really difficult or different is when we go to school. You know, in school you have a formal you know sage on the stage and everybody else is is a is in the learner role. Whereas, you know, in reality, that's not the case in, you know, before and, and after we leave school. Right. Isn't that interesting is that we, we, we students attend school to prepare for the real world, in quotes, and yet school isn't like the real world. And so, so we lose the, the idea of collective intelligence, which is a human condition. It's how we learn. Um, and so, so let's, let's dive into knowledge. That's spelled N-O-L-E-J for all you out there listening. Uh, this solution, when I first heard about it and you and I started talking about it, it made me jump out of my seat. It's like, this is exactly what we need if this can play out. So, so give, give us a little bit of an understanding for the layperson of what knowledge the big picture is and then what's it doing right now for, for us on the ground. So I think, I think to understand the big picture, we need to understand what the problem is we're trying to solve. And the problem is we're trying to solve is that you know, most of the jobs our school systems are preparing our kids for will be obsolete by the time we graduate. And in addition, if we look at content in courses, content in boilerplate courses, including programs at top schools, most of the content in these courses are relevant to the students' current needs, which means that by the time they do need to use what they've learned, they may have forgotten what, they, what they've spent their time uh, learning. You know, how many, how many of us re remember what we learned last semester? versus how many of us do remember what we learned last year compared to what we learned in college. I think the reality is that not much, right? It's, it's a very inefficient way of learning. Um, and and so, so how do we solve that? At the moment, we can't really solve that because it's going to take us six months, seven months, several years to develop the courses and programs needed to teach kids. But what if we could do that in real time? What if, what if we could do that as a need arises, learn what we need as we need it. That, that's, that's the problem we're trying to solve. And so in order to solve that, that problem, for the last 10 years, I've been experimenting as a collective intelligence scientist on that problem. So how do we solve that? Um, we think that it needs three components. Component one is we need a tool that can rapidly convert any information, any suitable information, into bite-sized e-learning packages that are ready to learn from. This tool needs to be it needs to be able to operate in, in almost real time because new information is coming out all the time, right? And we need to be able to learn from that as quickly as, as we can. So that's 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 component one. Component two is now that we have all these bite-sized learning components that can be generated in real time, what do we do with them? We can't just throw them in a library and hope someone can find them. No, what, what we think is needed is we need to map those out to a multidimensional latent space. So this becomes like a Google Maps for learning, where if you can search anything you want, you can now have a map, uh, quote unquote, like, like a, you can think of it as like a map of ignorance. Here are, here are all the concepts, the bite-sized concepts that I need to learn to get me from my current understanding to whatever learning goal that is. So, so that's component two is this, this latent space so, so that you know, anybody can query this. Learners can query it, educators can query it, curriculum designers can query it, 
employers can query it. Um, th so that's component two. And component three that we're building is a GPS to guide you through that. But very importantly, the GPS does not, does not only guide you to the content, because content can maybe get you through 20% of the learning experience. The other 80% of the learning experience is your interactions with other experts. It's, it's that collective intelligence engine. It's about you interacting with experts, with mentors, with other learners. It's you doing the things you're actually learning about. That's where 80% of the learning takes place. And so the, the, the final component, which we call knowledge protocol, is that GPS that guides you through that latent space, guides you to not only content, but also to people, experts. Got it. So, so I see these. So the, the, the first element is about taking information, which is exponential in growth over the, every single second, right? And putting it into something that makes it easier to learn. And let's dig into that a, a little bit more is why is that different from me Googling something or me watching a YouTube video or what, what's the, what makes your solution better in this case? Um, let's say you want to learn something. You can go to Google. You can search for it. It's going to take you a while to find something that's useful. Uh, you could also go to go to um, uh, educational edtech sites, uh, Coursera, LinkedIn. You can go to uh, you know you can go to the traditional players, uh, Harvard, Stanford, and go look. You know what? I want to become X, so I want to learn Y. You, you go and, and you search, and, and maybe have these courses, but you don't know what's in that course. You don't know what's in involved. You need to dig into that. You need to find what you're looking for. And, and like I said, 82% of that content is going to be irrelevant to your needs. Okay, so, so does that mean, yeah, how, how are you going to find that stuff that's relevant to you? It's really difficult. We need a, a way to, to, to chunk that up to, into bite-sized components so that it's really easy to search, it's really easy to find. That, that uh, flexibility isn't available today. That's why we need this one tool that can take that information, um, break it up into micro-learning packages uh, that are ready to, to, to learn from. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, I, I am on the side thinking about how to learn Python just because I'm always curious how we learn. And, and, and I found that all I'm doing is, is Googling uh, over and over again and you get hundreds of links and some of them are good and some of them are bad and it's super inefficient waste of time. Okay, so walk us through. I know that part one is the one that everyone you're working on right now and you've had a couple of releases um, and it's available to use. So, so walk us through tangibly what that looks like, knowing that we don't have a screen share going on right now. Yeah, so part one is designed for anyone that anyone that needs to create interactive material, bite-sized e-learning material. So the process is is very similar to the current workflow. Um, so I used to be an instructional designer, and the current workflow is uh, maybe I'm given this document, or maybe a textbook chapter, or maybe a video, whatever the case, and and I need to generate some e-learning material from this. So the first part is I probably need to read through that. Maybe I don't understand things, something. So I would email the, the subject matter expert saying, hey, you know what, what does this mean? What does that mean? Once I've done all that research, I then start to develop a, a glossary of terms. And once I have the glossary of terms that are available, then I need to look at definitions. And once I've got the definitions done, then I need to think about questions and multiple choice questions. And then I need to think about interactors. Like, okay, how do I make this interesting for someone to learn? Let me let me create an interactive video. Okay, now I've got some some interactive. I, I also want to make sure that the that that the learner learning this understands the concept. So let me create some flashcards. Let me get let, get, let me get some interesting flashcards and and visual prompts going. And then maybe I want to add some games like crosswords and find the words just to to drive down the the vocabulary part. 
part of things. And all of this is the current workflow for instructional designers, and it could easily take them 30, 40 hours to do this work. So, so Knowledge AI is a tool that can do that in minutes. Instead of you reading the document, you upload the document. It could be video, it could be audio, it could be a PDF, it could be a PowerPoint presentation. You upload it to Knowledge AI. Knowledge AI understands and analyzes, analyzes the semantic meaning of what's been discussed and then generates all of those things. It generates the glossary, it generates the definitions, it generates the quiz questions, the flashcards, the interactive video, all of these components, which are then plug and play ready for any learning management system. And that's that's one of the key parts too, is we need to make sure that this is suitable for anyone, even if they aren't tech savvy. And so it's as simple as uploading a document and then loading it onto your LMS without any need to know anything about the backend technology. Got it. And and I, I, I as I told you before the call, is that I, I tested this this morning. So I took a Microschools paper. It's a PDF. It's available online. We wrote it about a year ago. I put it into the system and it was about, uh, I don't know, five to six minutes and five to six minutes later, the, the, I'd almost call it magic, right? It comes out and it is summarized. It has different types of questions, exactly how you describe. So, so because I know it's not magic, um, and there is definitely technology behind it, um, it is driven by an AI engine. Uh, I know that. And so, so what's actually happening behind the scenes? I, I, I entered all this content it was a 10 page PDF white paper. Um, what's the simplest way to explain what's happening with your large language model behind the scenes? Um, yeah, so we so we use multiple different models, but but a really good way to to understand how what works in the background is to understand that workflow. So the first thing is just like you would as a as 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 an instructional designer, you first need to read through it. Okay, so so I read through the document and I understand. Okay, now this document's all about I don't know. Uh, biology. Okay, so now I understand. Okay, this is a biology paper, so I need to think about biological terms, right? And so, so then I analyze that, and I see, okay, what are the key ideas being represented in this content? Okay, let me find those. Then, once I find those key ideas, you know, what is what is the author trying to portray? What are the what are the main points, right? So let me let me figure out the, what those are. Then the next thing is, well, are there definitions for these main points in the content? Um, let me extract those. Let me let me generate some additional. So so the the, the model of the AI is, is working very similar to the way that we would do it as as instructional designers. Um, the model and and the and the technology is 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 using that same workflow, just helping uh, helping. It, well, we we do it we do it for the for the teacher and instructional designer. Uh, so there's multiple different models in in the background, all playing together. Um, uh, to generate the output. Right. And, and to be clear, Bodo, I know you know this and I know this, uh, just to be clear to everybody is that this, this, this model that we're talking about, these models that, are, that we're talking about in the background, they're not sentient beings. They're not thinking beings. Uh, they're just massive amounts of information that knowledge is tap, knowledge, uh, is tapping into, knowledge AI is tapping into, and then putting out the most likely and best answer that will then be in service to the educator or the instructional designer that's using. Is and, that correct? And is key to, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what is key to note is that this is this is this is quite a bit different to ChatGPT. With ChatGPT and and those models, you type in a prompt and then and then it 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 generates a result. And this could be hallucinative, right? It could, it could confidently say something that's inaccurate. But what what our model does very differently and, and was quite unique is, no, you upload the content you want to generate information from, and that is the that is the base truth, right? And so that is always the base truth. And we generate from that base truth. 
um, which means it's 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 highly accurate. It's based on the content you uploaded. Um, it's very suitable for educational purposes. Makes total sense, and I appreciate the the, the difference because everybody's talking about Chat Chat GPT as if it's the only thing out there. And the reality is, is there's many many different AI tools out there that are using different models. And so I appreciate that discernment. Um, Bodo, one of the things you told me, which was astounding, was your um, sort of verification check of, of does this thing actually feel real? Um, uh, and t- talk to us a little bit about how you're testing the output uh, uh, in terms of does it feel human or not? Yeah, that, that's really important. And we noticed that right from the get-go. So we run a Turing test where we generate a whole bunch of content. Some of it is human-generated, some of it is AI-generated. And we ask instructional designers to now judge and think, and tell us if they think this module is human-generated or AI-generated. Um, and it used to be the case that a couple of months ago, uh, we were at about 60% uh, quality, 60% uh, yeah, quality. So 60% of the time they thought uh, this was human-generated, which, which I mean is good, right? 60%, 60% is, is, is pretty good. But today we're at, at about 85%. So we've we've managed to improve that much in in such a short time, and I think the improvement is is still going to get even better. Um, so yeah, so that, that's that's the method we use at the moment. And is the goal eventually to get no discernment between human and the the AI, or do you always expect it's going to be somewhere between eighty and ninety five percent? No, well, the the goal is to get as uh, continually better, but I think I think the reality is we're always going to need a teacher in the loop. We're always going to need an expert in the loop, um, the to to validate, and and we want that. We want we want the 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 content packages that are generated to be validated by educators. Um, they they know how to out what the learners are requiring. They know what what their learners um, are interested in. And so I think that final check is, is going to be important for a, for, a, for a long time. All right. So that, that uh, tackles my next question is, is uh, the, the, the sort of chat that's running around about, uh-oh, teachers are going to be out of jobs and all these kind of things as AI becomes more and more personalized and every learner has an individual personalized mentor. But what I'm hearing from you is that humans are always going to be involved in this. Is there, do you see a shifting role, though, as efficiencies? I mean, this tool saves hours and hours of work. Uh, especially if you're an instructional designer or an educator who's not given curriculum but has to design curriculum, uh, do you? This is more a philosophical question, but what does that allow teachers to do more of um, when you free up this time? And this this comes back to the collective intelligence work I've done. So so it's all about if we and and I'm not an educator, so so I must I must emphasize that too. Is is my background isn't in education, but and and what I discovered was that. Um, and and your audience probably knows this better than I do, but content can maybe get you 20% through the learning experience. The other 80% actually comes from your interactions with other experts and teachers and mentors and 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 what you do with what you've learned. That's where the value lies. Uh, you know, I think good content is is great, but it's almost like a seed. The, the the real teaching comes from your interactions with other with others. And so I'm hoping that this will allow teachers to do what they do best, which is to teach rather than, you know, assess standardized tests and doing all the bureaucracy and everything else that they need to do. Um, so I'm hoping this this alleviates some of the, the burdensome work and allows them to focus more on the things that that drive the most value, which is interacting with the learners. I, I completely see that. And as I've been looking at the space and watching solutions like yours and others, is 
I look at uh, sort of instructional design, especially these basic pieces, these, these sort of basic framework pieces that can save people a lot of time. Uh, I look at assessment as another area where, where assessment can happen more quickly and then the, re- the results can then inform the next level of instruction. So I know, so right now uh, what's available for those who want to participate is this, this first phase, right? So this is the, um, the, 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 the uh, knowledge AI where you're just designing, um, you're adding a piece of content and it's designing the, the curricular and instructional materials. Let's skip to the, 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 so, and I understand the path is a second phase, but I'm really fascinated by this third phase. Um, th- this, this knowledge protocol where you talked about the intersection of everybody can be um, uh, a mentor and everybody or guide. And, and so anyone can be a learner and anyone can be a teacher, I guess is the way I would say it. How, how would you describe the system? Because it works on these concepts of tokenization and some Web3 elements and pieces like that, which actually are really mysterious and cryptic to a lot of people. So how would you explain that third, that third tier that you're aspiring for? So, so I, think, I think to address, address the Web3 thing first, don't, like, don't get confused about the Web3 thing. So I approach this from a, from a really simplistic first principles approach is, is what, what technology can we use to, to solve this particular problem. Then what is the simplest of those technologies to use? It could be web three, it could be web two, it could be an abacus. It, do, it doesn't, it's like, like I'm, I'm not tied to any one technology. I, I'm just looking for the simplest solution. And from an end user's perspective, they're not even gonna know what is in the background unless they want to. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that because- I appreciate um, that. I will not say web three again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thinking behind the protocol came again from working in in the slums of East Africa and, and refugee camps, where there are no formal teachers. Uh, um, there, there are, yeah, there are no formal teachers, and, and 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 traditional assessments just didn't make sense. They were too easy to cheat. They they were um, they they just didn't make sense. So how do we validate that someone knows what they're doing if there's no traditional way of, of judging that? And so the method we we put in place was well, y- you start to earn points. From different interactions you have with with your learning with the with the network, and as you earn those points, you get to a point where you need to validate that you you've become a master at that particular concept. Um, at that point, the 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 way that you prove that you've become a master, or or essentially that you're you're able to teach the subject, is to teach that to two of your friends. Um, and and this did two amazing things within the context of 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 this refugee camp or or, or um, a slum uh, community we're working in. One is it forces the learner to learn that concept far more deeper because now they they're not learning it just to pass a standardized test or a multiple choice question. They actually need to teach someone else about that thing they just learned. So they need to learn this far more deeper. But two, really importantly, <clears throat> it it sorry. <clears throat> It propagates that learning throughout the community really, really efficiently. The the learner is incentivized to share their learning because if they, by doing so, they achieve better mastery points or, or proof of learning points, essentially. Um, they're incentivized to do that. It incentivizes learning to be propagated throughout the community. It incentivizes learners to learn something that they may not necessarily know about or, or are interested in. So it broadens their horizons quite quickly, too. Um, these are these are fascinating insights that we found out, and and so extrapolating that, we thought, well, how can we apply this to to large scale? And this is again where where the collective intelligence comes in, it's because I need to know what you are good at, so that we, when when I have a need, I know 
to communicate with you about that particular need. And so the protocol is there to, um, to work alongside the learner and gather their proof of learning points for every bite-sized component that we have mapped out to that latent space. So now we have a detailed map of everything you know and also the number of points you've earned in all of those concepts. This is really key because it allows us to then leverage the network to, to teach the network. As soon as you're struggling on a particular particular concept, we know of all the, all the other people in the network that know that particular concept, and we can make them, we can match those those two together. Um, there's a lot more I can say, and I know I'm I'm just yeah. Uh, there's a lot more to to it, but I think that's that's an overview. But so 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 I think I'm getting it is is that you know one of the the, the critical ways to to demonstrate proof of learning is in, can you in fact teach this to someone else right like that's what you're saying so and it's not just re- learning knowledge and regurgitating knowledge and we we know that generally from learning sciences so the way you're thinking about this knowledge protocol this third um, iter- phase of the the um, knowledge AI is is that there's always going to be learners that are needing to learn something. But you're also going to have a vast amount of community members, this collective that can use collective intelligence, who need to to demonstrate the proof of learning by teaching it back. And so you're connecting those two individuals together, those who need to learn something and those who are needing to demonstrate that they've learned something in order to teach it. Is that is that am I getting that right? That is correct. Yeah. 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 So so it's not necessarily I think I, I before this call, I was thinking that it was more, oh, it's going to tap into experts. And they are experts because they've demonstrated knowledge, but it's it's a it's this collective intelligence community that you're tapping into. Phenomenal, I love it. Okay, so is this all going to happen online? I mean, let's build out the vision. Ten years from now, uh, it's wildly successful. Is this all going to be online interactions, or do you foresee that there's ways that this actually exists in the real world, not online? What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, very, very much real world, very much online. What, whatever, whatever. Maybe I can illustrate this by sharing a the, a personal story of how this actually works. Um, so while we were building this technology, my my daughter suddenly becomes paralyzed and loses the use of her of her arms, and so we were stuck into a situation where we we uh, couldn't afford any of the treatments and we were desperate. So we knew there was a possible solution because we found there were brain-controlled exoskeletons we could, which could help paralyzed people move, but there's no course for it, right? So this comes to, to my earlier point. We don't know what, what learners need to solve tomorrow. So how does, this, how does this work? We need to be able to generate curriculum in the real time, curricula in the real time. And so we used Knowledge AI to deconstruct everything we could about exoskeletons, about brain-controlled uh, um, um, interfaces, and, and everything we, we could about, about paralysis. Then we use Knowledge Graph to build a, a map of all the things we need to learn. And then we use Knowledge Protocol to put us in touch with experts along the way. And in just seven months, we built a brain-controlled exoskeleton. And, our, and it, it, I mean, it's totally unheard of. And our, our doctors couldn't even keep up with the rate at which we were learning things. And it was all due to the fact that, that we were learning the things that we needed to learn. We were learning in the real world. We were going to different experts around the world. Yes, some of it was online. Some of it was in person. But it's a really fluid way of learning. It's a really dynamic way of learning. And it also taps into your intrinsic motivation. Right, because because suddenly you're learning something you want to learn, and and you have the 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 ability to do so. The, um, so I really think that's the way that that's how I see future learning is is currently, um, and, and I see this again with with the girls in in the refugee camps. They want to change the world just like any other kid. However, 
they can't. They don't have the opportunity. And if if they do have the opportunity, they need to first go to school for 14 years and then maybe college and then maybe have an internship. And then when they're 47 years old, maybe then they can they can change the world. But that's that's not that's that's not a really uh, inspirational vision. What if what if we could empower learners from any age to to tap into their intrinsic motivation, learn what they want, and change the world at the same time? Ah, beautiful! I love it, Bodo. This this idea of uh, it's like on demand agency. So this idea that 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 someone sees H. We always talk about sort of problem spotting uh, as one of the superpowers. It's like you see something a young person or an uh, uh, any person of any age sees something that. They want to make a difference, but often right now they'll say, ah, I can't do it, or I don't have the access to the resources, et cetera. If we can put that at their fingertips, I think that's your proposition, right? Make it easy and make it happen. Yeah. And and just one final point is, is that on that is it this this tool would be really, really valuable for um, educational institutions um, who who know they they have to redesign uh, their curricula, redesign courses to help help students get to their their um, uh, yeah, get to get to their full potential. This is a this is a huge tool for for school systems too. Yeah, and and I can see we visit schools all the time, and and what we're seeing more and more in schools is we're they're they're trying to create experiences for learners that are more self directed, more learner centered, more project based. And so if you can actually imagine if a, a young person was in one of these high schools, uh, I was visiting one last week where where learners uh, can, can say, we want to study this, right? And so often that would lead to a flurry of learner activity and teacher activity and everyone's scrambling to find resources before they get to the actual impact that they want to make. So this saves time to create the learning part of the infrastructure. So where they're, where they're learning really quickly uh, and then quickly getting to the place where they can go and do something locally or make the impact that they need. Just like in your example of an arm that actually worked for your daughter, which is a powerful story, by the way. Um, all right, we're going to wrap up. Uh, it's been so exciting to talk about this. Like I said in the beginning, I've used the tool already. I would encourage people to do it. Um, couple final questions here. So one is, is what's your big takeaway message for listeners? Um, and then the second part of that question is, is who do you think we should all be listening to or get a podcast with, et cetera, to help us keep learning in this space? So two-part question. Um, I think I, yeah, the, the people that, that I think we should le- listen to mostly when it comes to education are the learners. Um, and I would, I would really encourage us to look at what learners want, but not in the context of traditional education, listen to what they want and what they need within the context of their future. Um, you know, what, what, what is it that they and and this was a difficult thing that that I learned um, is is to ask the right questions and and make sure you can you can cut through um, through their assumptions. Yeah, I think so. The knowledge tools are here to empower educators and learners. Um, the we're taking a, a we think a new, a new approach. Uh, we're looking at what is. What is it that that needs to be done in order to support learners in the future and 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 and, and educators in the future? And the tools we're building, I think, address those needs. And and if individuals want to try it out, can they? Yep, they can try it out immediately. Yep, go to knowledge.io. That's n-o-l-e-j.io, and they can sign up now. It's free, no credit card required. They can test it out. Um, 
it's the first part of the three three products we're building. Well, I, I have learned a ton. I mean, I, I, I have a couple different things that I pulled away from this. One is just reaffirming this need for collective intelligence as a human endeavor and that there is so much rich knowledge out there and skills and competencies that people can share with one another. And you're really tapping into that as you think about long-term vision. Uh, second thing is just reminding ourselves uh, we have so there, there's so many great teachers out there and yet teaching itself is a highly inefficient, inefficient task with, with uh, in this case, design of curriculum and how can you make that faster? Um, I love this quote, map of ignorance. I haven't heard that before, but this idea that we, we are moving through this map of ignorance so that we can learn and make impact. Um, and then finally, uh, this, this, this idea of proof of learning is go and teach other people. And how do you build that into the technology solution? So it's not just that you can do a multiple choice question, uh, quiz or you can write an essay, but it's can you go help someone else learn and get to the place where you're at. And by that means you suddenly are doing 10X, 100X of your impact uh, in terms of what you're looking at. So Bodo, really appreciate your time uh, today. Uh, I'm encouraging everybody who's listening to jump on and test drive this. It just takes a few minutes and I think you're gonna find it as a really great tool uh, in your quiver. So thanks everybody for listening and we appreciate uh, Bodo, you taking the time uh, to talk to us. Yep, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.